Let's pray. Father God, we come to you, God, right now, Lord, thanking you, God, for today. Thank you for every person in this building, God. Thank you, Lord, for our journeys that got us here and the hard days that we've had and the good days that we've had, Lord. Everything coming together, God, to make today what it is in our hearts, Lord, and you've prepared us, Lord, to hear your word today. I pray that our hearts are open and receptive, God. I pray that you'll speak through me, Lord. I thank you for my family here. I thank you, God, that this is my home and you've led me here. I just pray that every word that comes from my mouth, God, will be glorifying for you and it will be honoring to you. Thank you, God, for everything that you've done for us, Lord. But most of all, I thank you so much, God, for the precious gift of Jesus, Lord, that frees us from the bondage of our sin. And tonight, as we look in your word, I pray that you will help us, God, to remember the needs of this world, God, and show each one of us how we can use our gifts in unique ways to help others and to glorify you. In your name I pray, amen. Okay, so it's so good to be here. I'm a little nervous. I'm trying not to be, though. Um, but I was going to tell y'all a little interesting story before I get started. Um, last time I spoke, the youth was in Florida, so you guys missed my running story of how I ran. A golf cart pulled out in front of me. I fell, busted my knee, and it still hurts, and that was in July. So, um Yesterday, I was running again, and something else interesting happened. Maybe I need to stop, but I'm trying to keep up with Brett because he's training for a marathon, and my dream is to do a marathon, so I'm working at it. Anyway, so I was approaching my turnaround point, okay? I was going to be heading back to my car. I, was, I run a mile and a half one way, and then I turn around and go a mile and a half the other way. So I was running, and I was almost to the end. I was looking, and here I go. And there had been a little guy that passed me on his bicycle not too long before. And I was like, oh, he's got his backpack on. How cute, whatever. And so I was running, and I was like, oh, my gosh, he just fell. And, and I was looking, and I was like, I think he just got hit by a car. Like, and he did. And so I, I sped up, you know, and I got up there and I was like, are you okay? And he's like laying in the street and he's like, oh, I broke my wrist, you know, and all this stuff. And um, so anyway, he was hit by a car, but he was okay. He broke his wrist, went to the hospital and all that. But that's my interesting running story. Um, maybe I need a new hobby. I don't know. Something bad always happens when I go running. But anyway, makes for a good story. Okay, so... Um, I want to give you a little background on what I'm talking about today. Um, Keith said something a few weeks ago when he was talking, you know, we've been talking about the life of a follower, and we all have the same goal in life, but we all have um, unique gifts and different ways that we can use our gifts to glorify the Lord. But one thing that we're all called to do is to love each other, to love the world and we think about that, or I think about that sometimes, and I'm like, yeah, you know, we should love, but, you know, it's easy to love your friends and your family and things like that, but 
really the love of Christ is when you go beyond that and you love the people that you really want to stay away from or that have hurt you or that have really, really used you or manipulated you or, you know, really done some really bad things. That, that's the kind of love that Jesus had for us. And so uh, Keith said, love goes a long way. And I got, I, I've been thinking about that, and I'm like, love is everything. It does go a long way. It heals hearts that are broken and shattered. It mends the pieces that you feel like are broken and can never be put back together. And sometimes you can't be put back together the way you were to begin with, but God can put you back together and make you something different and better than you were before when he redeems that hurt and he redeems that bitterness that you held inside for whatever has been done to you. Or maybe it's something that you did to somebody else and you have this guilt and, and this um, anguish inside and you can't let it go. God can restore that. And that's the beautiful thing about following Jesus. He takes the old and makes it new. He, like Kenny has said so many times, he takes that heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. It's like becoming a new creation. That's why Scripture tells us that the new is come and the old is gone, and we are new. So, okay, so um, in my life, the, the first person to ever love me the way she loved me was my granny. Okay, this is my granny, and that's not a boy. That's me. I think my parents wanted a boy, I guess, apparently, because they dressed me like one my whole life. And so, um, but, but she was my granny, and she, she poured into me, and she was the personification of grace in a human form that I knew as a child. Grace, mercy, love. And she made me believe that I was her favorite. She never said it. And then as I've gotten older, I realized she did everybody that way. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe she didn't love me more. But, but she invested into me. And she taught me things without saying, I'm teaching you things, you know. Like, she really spent a lot of time with me. And she was a very godly woman. And so from, from birth, I mean, she was like my second set of parents, you know. She, I stayed with her all the time, and I watched her very closely as I grew up, and she was constant, and she loved the Lord, and she was faithful to church and faithful to working and serving her community. And, and at night, when I would spend the night with her all the time, she never made a declaration, I'm going to read my Bible, you know, or anything like that. But she would just quietly just, you know, I was playing or whatever, and she was reading her Bible, and she did that every day. And so later in life, when I heard the gospel, and I was able to absorb the truth of what I was hearing, and, and, it, and it came down to making a decision about giving my life to Christ, it was easy for me to grasp the great love of God because I had a person that I watched love God and I watched her be solid and steady and love me the way nobody else did. So I believed that 
that God lived in her, and I wanted to be like that. I wanted to have that peaceful spirit and that, that ability to love people the way she loved me, and it changed my life. I know that I would not be the person with the outlook on the world that I have today if it had not been for her. So that's Granny, okay? Um, also at that age, that little bitty girl, okay, not a boy, um, my parents, who loved me too, they loved me a lot. They were really young. And so they were, we went uh, camping, okay, with my grandparents, another set of grandparents. And they left my aunt in charge of me while they went fishing, okay? That sounds good because most aunts are a lot older or whatever. Mm -mm, not mine. She was four years older than me. So I was two or three and she was six or seven. So she was in charge of babysitting me. Well, I wandered away, and she did not care because she was, you know, I don't know, playing or coloring or something. And so I, I'm wandering away. I don't know where I was going, but I remember there was like a long, long pier, and I, maybe my parents were at the end of the pier. I don't know. I couldn't see them because there was a bunch of people there. But there was some steps that went into the water and a little boat ramp. So I walked over to the water, and I remember this, so crazy. I, I was looking at the water, and I stepped down, and I stepped down again. And when I got to in the water, the moss was all over the steps, and I slipped in. And I remember opening my eyes underwater, and like I, I can remember the yellow handrail that was in the water, and I, I couldn't get it, and... I wasn't panicking, but I was definitely under the water. And somehow, by the grace of God, two men were walking down the pier, and they saw me. They didn't know what it was. They just saw something splashing in the water. And they, they reached in and got me out and saved my life. And my parents, I don't know if there was a commotion, but they ended up running down the pier and everything. So my whole point in that is that when we see a need, we are called to try to meet that need. And it, it's not always going to be, I have to go save the whole country of Haiti. You know, it's going to be things that are in our daily life. It's going to be, you know, um, somebody I know and love is in trouble. They're having a hard time and they're on the brink of, you know, really not being okay. I'm going to stop what I'm doing and go to them until they feel like they're okay, until they feel like they can make it another day. That is also going when we're supposed to go. And um, I, I was thinking a couple of weeks ago, before I even knew what I, w I was speaking on, um, I was thinking about compassion and, and looking at the world, because of Hurricane, you know, Matthew was coming, and we were supposed to be in Haiti, and how crazy and just crazy all that was, and the timing of everything, and how God has worked and, and shaped our hearts through all that, and still is. And um, I was thinking about when, when you see somebody on TV, or when you're going down the road, or whatever, and you see somebody that that you can tell they need, they need help in some way. And you either change the channel 
keep scrolling or look away. And we've all done it. And, and you cannot, you literally cannot save everybody. I'm not saying that. But having compassion is different than feeling sorry for somebody. Having compassion is having a deep desire to help somebody too. You see it and you go and try to help with the need. And, and I feel like with um, Haiti and with, you know, different things in our lives, we're, we're mo- motivated to go and try to make a difference. And so I was thinking about my own life and, and how, how did I even, Haiti, how did it get on my radar at all? And so I thought back, and in 2010 they had that, catastrophic earthquake that was just crazy and it killed you know 160,000 people and then in the months to follow over 6,000 people died of cholera from that because their water infrastructure is so unstable anyway that that you know any damage to it is just gonna really mess them up and so I've been you know I've started reading about it I was just you know immersed in their their country and what was going on? How did this happen? And well, surely they'll rebuild, you know. I mean, we had some terrible things to happen, you know, September 11th, and you know, it took a while, but we cleaned it up and rebuilt, and everything's good. And you know, I'm just thinking in my naive first world mind that that's what everybody does when something happens, you know. Well, in 2010, I think I have a picture. This picture right here is the picture I saw. I can't even believe I found it, but anyway. And I printed it out and put it on my bulletin board in my office, and I looked at it almost every day for, I don't know, I guess three years. And I prayed for that man, and and that's his little girl, and she was killed in the earthquake, and it just broke me. I was like, what are they going to do? There's so many deaths and so much hurt and so much damage. How, how are they going to recover? And then in 2013, um, you've heard Kenny talk about how a group from our previous church went to Haiti. And I, I knew immediately, like my stomach just was like, because I was like, oh God, I'm supposed to go. But I can't because you can't drive there. And I'm not getting on a plane. So I, it was really, really, really a struggle. I had to really, really pray and talk to several people and just, it was bad. But I knew the whole time, I never said, well, I'm just not going to go because God wouldn't let me do that. He, he put something in me and was like, we're tearing those walls down of fear in your heart and this is going to be a good place to start. And so... Um, in 2013, I did it. I was like, I'm going. And so this is a picture of us just going kind of door-to-door or whatever. Um, not really door-to-door. It was not door-to-door. These people were outside, and we were sharing the gospel with them. We were just going through, um, telling them about God. And they were so... Um, there's a lot of people... The majority of the world does not know the gospel like we do. And they have different gods. They have different ways of worship. And so these people were kind of bi-religious, I guess. They were Catholic and voodoo. I know it sounds strange, but they did one in the morning and one in the evening on Sunday because that's 
what they knew, and they, and that that's just what they did. So we were going around telling them about, you know, God and Jesus and how God in his great love sent Jesus, his son, to die for us, to free us from all the the burden of sin and the, you know, chains of oppression that the world has on us and that, that heaven is our hope and, you know, our hope is in Christ. And so many of them were like, no, this, you know, we, we talked with them a little bit about hell because they asked us about it and they were like, this is hell. What we live in is hell. And it was just heart-wrenching to see, you know, for the first time in my life, people that didn't, Everything that we have is what they didn't have. It, their whole entire way of life was completely different. And it was almost like when I first got there, I was reading my journal from Haiti um, this past week, and it was like, I've never seen anything like this. The people are so oppressed. There's no way they can rebuild. What are they going to do? You know, it's like by the end of the week, though, I was like, I've never seen more beautiful people, the Christians here, even though there are few, they have such a joy that I've never seen, and their dependence is completely on God, and, and that's where they find their joy, and that's where they find their strength, and I just, I just remember God changing my heart so much, and even in the years to follow, it's been three years now, and, and I feel like a different person almost when I look back and read things that I wrote, and things that I was afraid of, and it's just amazing how God has changed me. Um, these women right here, the one on the top, she had a tattoo of, like, fire going up her arm. And when we told her about Jesus, she was listening, and they were all listening and everything, and she had a question. And so I was like, what is it? What's on your mind, you know? And she said, I am a voodoo dancer, and that's what this tattoo means. And I'm marked. And um, will Jesus still take me? And I said, no, Jesus won't take you. Jesus wants you. No matter what you've done, what you're doing, Jesus wants you. He loves you. And you are a creation of God. And your, ta your tattoo and your... What you do for a living does not define you. What you've done in the past is not who you are. You are created by God on purpose for a purpose. And so that was really cool because she was like, I want, I want Jesus. I want to know about Jesus. And so here we are today. And um, he, through all that, basically, he, he showed me so clearly that he wants me to serve people. That's what he wants for my life. He wants me to serve people with no strings attached. And I mean, that sounds so simple, but sometimes it's not as simple as it sounds because sometimes you're faced with situations that you're like, I don't know about this. You know, I'll do anything but this, you know. But that's not... He's made it extremely clear to me that's not what he is speaking to my heart. He wants me to serve people with no strings attached. And so, here I am. Um, so, um, 
he, I, I thought it was cool because I was thinking about reach, teach, and serve. I don't know why, but he's called me and you to love our neighbor, to reach the world, to teach them about the great love of God, and to serve everyone with the same love that he loves us with. And like I said, that's not always easy, but that's what we're called to do, so we do it. Um, David Platt says something that I love. Um, he says, we are plan A. And there is no plan B. So, you know, like he, he also says, he could write the gospel in the sky if he wanted to. But that's not what he's chosen to do. He's chosen to use us, broken people, people with a past, people with things that, you know, we hide things, we lie, we steal, we covet, we do all these things. And he still wants to use us. And I think it's really cool what's happening here and in our small group in particular on Sunday night, our adult small group. Sunday night was um, probably the best one I've ever been a part of. And the walls are coming down in our small group too. We just got real honest. And it, I cried until after lunch on Monday about it. I couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop because of how good God is, how much people walk through and we have an opportunity here to take off the mask, take off the smile. If you're not feeling it, it's okay. And admit that we're all a little messed up, but we all love each other and we're here to serve God and to love people. And I think that's awesome. So we know what David Platt says. Let's say what Jesus says, okay? So Luke 10 um, Verse 25 through 37. Um, okay, I'm just going to start. Okay, so verse 25. One, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. What a bold move. I mean, do you really want to test Jesus? I don't know. I don't. Okay, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So, okay, this guy is um, kind of getting a little haughty with Jesus, trying to kind of trip him up a little bit. Um, and Jesus, when he says, how do you read it? That was kind of common lingo, language, or whatever back then. And um, it was to see, kind of get him to say what he thought first. And, and um, so the guy answered the question, and Jesus said, that's right. You go do that, and you'll be good. But he wanted to keep, press the issue, and so he asked him, who is my neighbor? So Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. 
So, we have a priest and another guy that's coming by, and they see him, I guess maybe separate times. The priest, you would automatically think, you know, a man of God would stop and, and do whatever he could, but we see that he didn't. He passed by. And the next guy did the same. He crossed over to the other side of the road and kept going. So then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. Okay, so... First of all, the Samaritans were not liked. Um, They were just looked at as worthless, pretty much. Nobody wanted to be around them. So the guy was taking a chance, as it is, stopping. But he saw a need, and he had compassion. Not only did he see him and feel bad for him, he was moved to take action and help the guy. So... He put, he put him on his own donkey, and so that means that man was walking. He bandaged his wounds, and he took him to a hotel, okay, and, and paid for him to stay there. And so he's helping him. It's taking financial, his comforts. He's taking a risk. He don't know what's going to happen to him for helping this guy because, you know, he's a Samaritan. And so the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. He paid the bill indefinitely to whenever the man needed to stay till, okay? And so so then Jesus says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? That's what Jesus is asking this guy. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So we see here our neighbor, our neighbor, okay, is a person who has a need. That's our neighbor. It doesn't matter if you know them or not, if you live near them or not, if you're already in your PJs and somebody needs you, You put those blue jeans back on and you go see if you can help somebody, you know. Um, It doesn't matter if it's inconvenient. If, If we've got the Holy Spirit in us, the very presence of God living in our bodies directing us and and convicting us and showing us what to do, we'll know the right thing to do. We're gonna know now you may say, Oh, I'm not doing that. But you're going to know, you're going to feel it in your heart about what to do when a situation arises. It may not be, you may face opposition. Somebody may say, that's, you shouldn't have got involved in that. Or that's ridiculous. They've got themselves in that mess. They can get them out, you know, get themselves out. But if God leads you to do something, you do not turn away and not do it. Um, you know, we as humans were in a pretty big mess when Jesus stepped in and decided to, you know, do what God had asked him to do for us. So even though we can't solve all the problems, God has plainly laid before us instructions to love him and reach the world in his name. 
I read an article that I just want to share a little piece of it with you. Um, I think it's I think it's something that we should hear. Um, there's a couple of pictures. Okay, so this is this is Haiti right now. This is after Matthew. Okay, um, so the hurricane is obviously gone, but Haiti is still. We're two weeks out now. Haiti is facing cholera, y'all, again, and there's people are dying every day. Kids that their mamas love them just like I love mine. They're, my kids are no more special than them. Those daddies work hard and their wives are dying or they're dying because they're forced to drink the water that's killing them because if they don't drink the water, they're going to die. It's like, it, it's bad. Okay, so here's this article. Uh, a person in the village is saying this. 90% of our village is gone, said Eric Valcourt, a priest in the Roman Catholic parish that runs the clinic and a school that now serves as shelter for those too sick or poor to leave. Many left by foot to escape the disease and devastation. The rest died from cholera or the hurricane. A week has passed since the hurricane tore through this remote stretch of Haiti's southern peninsula, leaving an apocalyptic landscape of treeless countryside, homes and lands robbed of its natural riches. But for many, the torment has only started. Cholera, the disease at the heart of Haiti's last disaster, is being spread again by this one. About 10,000 people have died and hundreds of thousands have been sickened since cholera first appeared in late 2010. Scientists say it was brought to Haiti by United Nations peacekeepers stationed at the base. Now cholera is stalking the areas gutted by the hurricane, a long peninsula of coastal towns and mountain villages where clean water was already hard to find long before the storm. We're all at risk, said the last official in Rendell. A father raced down the hill to a clinic with his young daughter draped over his back, clutching her legs, his face fixed in fear. She must have cholera, the magistrate said. He's running to save her life. Cholera was creeping through the mountains even before the hurricane, claiming the lives of untold numbers as it pushed toward town. First came the sick who trudged down to Rendell, desperate for medical care. Then, when the floods came, cholera was carried down by the water itself which swept up fecal matter dumped on hillsides, contaminating the river and other drinking supplies. This is um, a makeshift clinic that's, that's there right now. Um, and these people have cholera. And, and these people matter. These people matter just like you matter. And... It's, it, we cannot rush to Haiti or rush to Africa or rush to India and save everybody, and I know that. But we can do something, and there are multiple ways to be involved in helping, and there's been a few mentioned here, and um, I, I, one thing I want everybody to do is to really pray that God will lead your heart in how you can be personally involved in some way in helping these people because they need every, every person to do something for them. I mean, if it was us here, we would be waiting on the American Red Cross and FEMA and, 
you know, all these places and all these things in the government to rush in and, and help us. And we're part of the solution for them. We are, we can, we, if we can save one person or help one person, then that's what matters. And what makes it even more urgent for the people who could be sick um, and potentially die is that so many of them have never heard of Jesus. That's, that's the most important thing that we can give them is the gift of knowing about Jesus because we're all going to die. But what, what, what about the people who never hear? So I have um, 1 John 3, 16 through 18. Uh, Keith was in 1 John a couple of weeks ago, and um, God laid this on my heart when he was actually speaking one night. Um, we know that real love... We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to also give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. That hit me so hard, not just for Haiti and not just for, you know, the nations, but for my small group on Wednesday night, for my small group on Sunday night. Um, there are so many things that we can do here in our own community that will help other people. I don't know if y'all know this, but every Monday morning, Miss Dorothy takes all the leftovers from Sunday that we don't eat here and takes it to the soup bowl in Anniston to help feed the homeless in Anniston because there's a lot of them and they go to that soup bowl every day. Open your eyes to the needs around you and get out of your bubble. That's what God broke me over a few years ago. Like, yeah, you've got a great life, but it's not because I want you to have a great life. It's because you can be used in other parts of the world or here in your own community for those who don't have a great life, who don't know about Jesus, who, don't, who, who didn't have a granny that poured into them when they were growing up. We are called to love everybody and to be to be the hands and feet of Christ everywhere we go, in everything that we do. We carry him with us. And I think that we accidentally forget that a lot of times because we get wrapped up in our own stuff. Don't forget it. People, people are anxious and worried and depressed and they're in the dark and they live in darkness and they're afraid of everything because they don't have the peace that passes all understanding that, that God's Word teaches us about. Our community is not unreached because we live here. Everybody in Oxford, Alabama should know the gospel because we live here. I don't want us to let our light just stay in this building. This is no good if that's what happens. And so I... I 
love you guys and uh, so thankful for this moment up here to share what God has broken me over. Um, and, and the last thing I want to say is that when we think about God's love, I want you to think about where will God's love take you? You as a person, you as a family, you as this body of believers. And I thought about John. John was there when the Good Samaritan was, you know, spoke. And John wrote First John. And John knew about Jesus. And he was friends with Jesus. And, you know, he, he got to see all that. And he wrote, he wrote John 3.16. John 3.16, we all know it. I mean, we've all said it a million times. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. We memorize that. But that is like God's heart in one verse. That's like the whole story in one verse. That is enough to change somebody's life that don't know. God's love is powerful and it's real and His Word is alive. And if we really believe that, then we won't keep it to ourselves. We will tell other people and we will, even though we know we're going to mess up and we know we're going to fail and we know we're going to, you know, feel like just losers sometimes because of the things that we do. We do the things that we hate. And God's love is what changes people. It's not our responsibility to change the world. It's our responsibility to be obedient because of the grace we've been shown. He'll do the rest. Um, I just have one last thought, and I promise I'm stopping. Um, have you surrendered not only for salvation, but given your life, really given your whole life? Use me. Here I am. Do whatever it takes to use me to spread your gospel and to tell of your great love. I mean, that is, that's more than checking a box. That's a commitment. That's, a, that's saying to God, I don't care what you have to do. I want to be used by you. That's what matters most in my life. What do you live for? What do I live for? Are you willing to say, no matter what you have to do, use me for your glory? I hope that every one of us can honestly say that to God. But I remember a time in my life that I was afraid to say that because I didn't know I didn't know what might happen and I was afraid of everything. So I held back. And it wasn't until I let go that I really knew the goodness of God and, and what letting go and being free in Him really meant. Because if we can trust Him with our salvation, we can trust Him with our worries and our life and our failures and our hopes and our dreams. Because He's the one that created us and all our days are numbered before even one begins. And that's such a comfort. Thank you, guys. Let's pray. Father God, thank You, Lord. God, for Your Word. God, for preserving Your Word for... God, just making it available to us, Lord, so that we can read it and get to know you more and more. God, thank you that your word never comes back void. It, it, it's 
It's direct communication with you. It, it's, it's learning your heart and knowing your will. And God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that the whole theme of the Bible points toward your great love in Jesus. Thank you for making a way when there was no way. There was no way, but you in your sovereignty made a way for us, God. And I thank you for that. God, I pray that you will take this time, God, for us to, God, search our heart. And if there's anything that comes above you in our heart, I pray that you will strip it away. God, thank you for your mercy and your grace and your gift of Christ to the world. Pray that we will proclaim your goodness everywhere we go for every single day that we all have left on this earth, God. Stir within us a new desire to touch the lives of those that you place in our path. Thank you, Father, for everything that you've done for us, God. In your name I pray. Amen.